0: Thank you, Ashlyn and Alyssa. We just got a taste of heavenly music, didn't we? Morning, Avent Hope. Good, morning. good to be here with you. Um, I see a lot of familiar faces. Not from my days as a DA, I don't think, but from <laughs> days of being at Avent Hope. Um, I was active here from 2004 to 2008. Have many good memories of being at Avent Hope. Then we met in a quaint chapel called Burden Hall, probably appropriately named because a lot of us had a burden to get married. And so that's I'm going to be kind of talking about that today. Um, some people used to call Advent, hope, <clears throat> Advent hopeless. They don't still call that here, do they? They do? <laughs> well, you know what? I have a Bible verse for you. <laughs> Jesus said, with men this is impossible, but with, with God all things are possible. <laughs> Matthew 19.26. Would you pray with me as we get started today? Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessings we've already received uh, worshiping you here today. And I pray, Lord, that the promise that when we ask for the Holy Spirit, that you desire to give us the Holy Spirit more than we desire to give good gifts to our children. And so we claim that promise today and that You will work on our hearts, Lord. We all need, uh, we need more of you, Lord, more of Jesus. And I pray you, you would draw us close to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to share three caveats today as I talk about um, love and romance and marriage. The first caveat is because I'm married, I'm no longer an expert on marriage. My good friend Calvin Kim, who's actually here today in the back, um, he used to tell me, why do you singles always have the best advice about marriage and raising children? Um, The second caveat I I have today is I did not always follow the biblical principles I'm going to share with you today. And uh, so I have some regrets, mostly because I've hurt some people in the past. My third caveat is that Marriage is not a fairy tale where you live happily ever after. Um, (laughs) There are some challenges. (laughs) Even the best of marriages have challenges. I want to elaborate on that third caveat briefly, okay? Even Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, he was married for 63 years. He and his wife, Ruth, Ruth Bell Graham, They raised five children together, and she was a huge support for her husband's international ministry. She was once asked by a writer, as a Christian, have you ever contemplated divorce? She said, divorce? No. Murder? Yes. (laughs) Now, I have a friend named Andrew, some of you also know Andrew, who spent 10 years in prison. He's now an on-fire Christian for Jesus. He said the best preparation for marriage was 10 years in prison. (laughs) Why? Why would he say that? Number one, you're forced to live with difficult people in very small places. (laughs) Number two, if you have problems, you cannot run away from them. (laughs) That reminds me of the the American journalist, H.L. Mencken. He said the longest sentence you can form with two words is, I do. Even Albert Einstein, who by the way, if you look at his life, uh, his romantic and marriage life wasn't the best, kind of unstable. But this is what he said. Um, Men marry women with with the hope that they will never change. Women marry men with the hope they will change. (laughs) Invariably, they are both disappointed. (laughs) The good news is today I have a keen Bible passage, and if you follow this one verse, this one passage in the Bible, you will never have a problem in marriage. You ready for, for this passage? It is good for a man not to get married. <laughs> Why? He who marries will have trouble in this life. <clears throat> marriage is wonderful, but it's not without its trouble. The question is, is it still worth it? I, at least one happy married couple. And where did you meet, by the way? Here at Ava Hope. Oh, there you go. Well, George Jessel thought that marriage was worth the trouble. He said, marriage is a mistake every man should make. Socrates once gave this advice. He said, my advice to you is to get married. If you find a good wife, you'll be happy. If not, you'll become a philosopher. <laughs> Martin Luther said there is... No more lovely, friendly, and charming relationship, communion, or company than a good marriage. And finally, Mark Twain, he said, to get the full value of joy, you must have somebody to divide it with. In spite of the caveats, make no mistake, I'm I'm here to promote marriage today, but one based on biblical principles. I want to start with the testimony. So in 1984, my parents enrolled me at Pacific Union College right out of academy. When my mom dropped me off, I don't remember any of the advice she said except one thing. She said, you will probably find your wife here. Um, I was only 17 at the time. Little did I know that 30 more years would go by before I finally would get married. Uh, Four years later, I graduated with my bachelor's degree, and I was still a bachelor. And I continued to be a bachelor. Many years go by, different relationships, but nothing panned out in the long term. Um, And I believe that was because God knew I wasn't ready. I wasn't walking with God, so I really wasn't ready for marriage. Through the years, I've caught many a garter at weddings, and you're supposed to be the next one to get married when you catch the garter, right? Right. Uh, Back in 96, I caught the garter. And uh, unfortunately, I I guess I socked a guy in the eye to get the garter. I didn't mean to. But this is my friend Anthony's wedding, and I got the garter. I was the best man in Calvin Kim's wedding, and I got the garter. (laughs) Two years later, my friend Jared just threw it right at me feeling sorry for me. You know, I was looking for love, true love for a long time, but it wasn't until my wife-to-be and myself had given our lives to Jesus that God knew that we'd be ready for each other. My life was empty, in spite of having worldly success in some ways, house in Loma Linda, good friends. It was still empty until I gave my life to Jesus. That's a story for another time. Unfortunately, my wife didn't experience the conversion for another 11 years. And so God made me wait. In 2004, I had a friend, I still have a friend named Deanna. She said, you know, if you really want to get married, you should make a list. Make a list of what you're looking for. So I took her advice and only came up with 32 qualities. I want someone that's spiritual, sweet, loving, funny, intelligent, attractive, loves children, dogs, etc., etc. Sadly, for years, my discerning selectiveness was undeservably undeservingly labeled as being too picky. Um, over time, my family and friends gave up on me, and I just still had a little bit of hope. You know what gave me some hope? Just a little bit of hope. Was Bible promises uh, like this one? Proverbs nineteen fourteen: Houses and riches are the inheritance of fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Genesis two eighteen: I will make a helpmeet for him. God setteth uh, Psalm sixty eight six: God setteth the solitary in families. So I kept praying, and nine years go by. I guess God wanted to grow my patience. Uh, and then uh, in 2013, I was fasting for an evangelistic series I was doing at the time. And uh, as an evangelist, I usually stayed up late, got up late. And, but one morning, uh, Calvin gave me a call. He was so excited. He says, Dave, Dave, can you, are you up? I said, barely, thanks to you. He said, uh, can, can you get on the computer right now? Calvin's always a man of action. And he said, uh, get on the computer right now. I want to introduce you to somebody. I have a friend named Nina. Um, They were friends in the 90s and he had found out they had recently gotten reacquainted and uh, he had found out she'd gone through a recent conversion. And so I checked her out on Facebook and uh, eventually we started to get to know each other on Facebook and uh, I was really impressed with her passion for Jesus. And uh, I kind of knew she liked me when she started defending me on Facebook. I put this post on Facebook and you wouldn't believe uh, the amount of criticism I was getting. This is the post. A woman is driving the first time on the highway. Her husband calls and says, be careful, love. It's just been on the radio that someone is driving the wrong way on the highway. She replies, someone, these idiots are in the hundreds. (laughs) Someone called me a male chauvinist. (laughs) She started defending me. But anyway, soon we progressed from Facebook to phone calls and very shortly Skype. She was amazed that the last four digits of my phone number were were her birthday, 621. When she was a little girl growing up in Ukraine, she dreamed of uniting her singing talent with a husband in ministry. So this was our first date. Here in Loma Linda and I discovered her name Nina means God has shown favor one of the things that impressed me about Nina is that um, she had been taking care of her parents at that time for the last 17 years they lived in Loma Linda they went to the Romanian church but she was their transportation their translation and she had been raised in a conservative Seventh-day Adventist home um, And I discovered she fit the forty qualities. This was our first uh, well it was a it was a mystery date. I took her sailing in San Diego. Um, and I asked her to be my boyfriend, or excuse me <laughs> I asked her to be my girlfriend And in the card, uh, at the end of that time where I was in between evangelistic meetings. Anyway, on the card, I said, I've seen you from afar, and now I've seen you up close. The view just keeps getting better. You've been a jewel all along and inspired me so much with your love and passion for Jesus. May your eye ever be single to the glory of God, Matthew six twenty-two. Like Columbus of old, whose favorite ship was the Nina, when you sailed into my life recently, I believe my ship had come in and will take both of us to a new world. Kind of cheesy, huh? <laughs> But you know, men, women love that stuff, okay? (laughs) So then, that day I flew to Corpus Christi for my next evangelistic series. Imagine my surprise when I saw what was greeting me in the harbor in Corpus Christi, which is a replica of just one of Christopher Columbus's ships, his favorite ship, the Nina. Shortly thereafter, I got an email from my friend Twyla from Army Bible Camp. She said, hi, Dave, happy Thanksgiving. The reason why i'm writing to you is because god has put a huge burden on my heart to pray for you and your future wife i know this may come as a shock to you but it's true in july of this year i was overcome with this strong burden to start praying for you and your future wife it was really strong for an entire week god had been putting this burden on my on me so strongly that i couldn't get away from it i started praying that god would prepare your heart and her heart for each other then the burden lifted and i would pray about you and your future wife from time to time then, a little over a month ago, God started putting the burden on my heart again, and this time stronger. I also had been impressed to fast and pray for a specific individual, and God showed me I was to fast and pray for you and your future wife as well. Today is day 32 of praying and fasting for you and your future wife. I was not planning on saying anything to you, to you about this, but a few days ago I felt impressed I needed to share it with you. I've been praying about it, and God has not allowed me to forget about it. So I have no idea if God has spoken to you about a person, but I know. He has spoken to me about praying for you and your future wife. I've been, preparing, uh, I've been praying that God will prepare both of your hearts for each other and that he will bring you together in his time and in his way. I've also been praying that God will make it so clear in your mind who you are supposed to marry, that you will have no question in your mind and that he will show you when you are supposed to pursue her. I have no doubt in my mind that the two of you will be a dynamic team for God and that she's going to be absolutely amazing because he only creates the best. I'm excited to see who God has in store for you and when he brings you together. In the meantime, I will continue praying and fasting for you until God tells me to stop. I hope this encourages you and blesses you. Well, I didn't want to keep Twyla fasting and praying forever. <laughs> and this was confirmation about what God was already doing. So some of you actually were here when I preached a sermon about love and romance. And I actually, um, at that time, Um, I actually proposed right here, right here in this, well, there's even the pulpit. I think it's the same one. And um, I said, I'm tired of being one of Doug Batcher's bachelors. Will you marry me? And amazingly, she said yes. She kept me waiting a while, but... And uh, so this is the picture afterwards. You know, Psalm 37, four and five says, delight thyself also in the Lord. He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. He shall bring it to pass. Does anybody know what day I proposed to her? It was on Sabbath. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Can you be more specific? I have $100 if you can guess it right. Right here. It was 10 years ago. Almost. Can you guess when it was? I haven't heard it yet, but that's okay. If you come up to me afterwards, then I can give it to you. Okay. How many of you were here when I proposed? Okay, a few of you. Now, when we were looking for a wedding venue, um, one of the places we looked at was Redlands at Seven Seventh-day Church, a beautiful facility, And when I found out the wedding coordinator's name was Nina David, I said, this is the place. (laughs) So we got married in 2014. When Nina was pregnant with our eldest son, Ethan, she said, I want him to be just like you. I said, are you sure, honey? (laughs) Fortunately, Ethan's a cleaner eater than I was. So here's a couple pictures of my family, recent pictures. They were, they're, they're sick, so they're not here today. So what is the purpose of romance and marriage? Is it to fulfill our own desires? Is it so your parents can get you out of the house? Or maybe you want to get out of the house? You know, I have a good friend. Um, he, his mother had a troubled home life, and so um, she actually got married two weeks after meeting her husband-to-be after they had dated just for two weeks. And sadly, it didn't work out three, three children later. But what is the real purpose of romance and marriage? I would submit to you today that it's to glorify God, first and foremost, and also to yield a righteous generation. Isn't marriage more than about just finding someone attractive who makes your heart go pitter-patter and that's fun to be around? We need to remember that marriage actually is a symbol of Jesus' relationship with his bride, the church. And so this is something we have to get right. Uh, In Messages to Young People, Ellen White said that love is a precious gift which we receive from Jesus. Pure and holy affection is not a feeling but a principle. And every step toward marriage should be characterized by an earnest purpose to please and to honor God. So today I want to take a stab at sharing seven secrets for a successful love story based on biblical and spirit prophecy principles. The first secret is to be sold out to God, to be surrendered to Jesus. This is the most important step. If you don't do this step, the other six are irrelevant. Jesus said in Matthew 22, 22, 37, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. You know, a worldly love story has nothing on a godly love story. No such thing as true love without God in the middle. Without Jesus in the middle, there's no real love story. If you're looking for Hollywood to guide your love story, it may end in ruin. But if God leads, it will be successful. In messages to young people, we're told the heart yearns for human love, but this love is not strong enough or pure enough or precious enough to supply the place of the love of Jesus. Only in her Savior can the wife find wisdom, strength, and grace to meet the cares, responsibilities, and sorrows of life. She should make him her strength and her guide. Let woman give herself to Christ before giving herself to any earthly friend and enter into no relation which shall conflict with this. You know, I was an evangelist for 10 years. Now I've been pastoring for four, but I've met many people at many churches. And one of the consistent themes that, I, that I've found o- over that time is I've met many women who have compromised and are sitting alone in church while their non-believing husband is at home. And it's really heartbreaking, actually. You can see the pain that they experience. Um... This advice is really, really sound. A lot of times people settle because they get desperate, they get lonely, and that's just not God's way. Now, why have I chosen matches as the motif for this sermon? Well, not only does Jesus want you to love him first, but once you do, you know what he wants to do for you? Jesus wants to be your matchmaker. And he's better at it than anyone else. You know why? He knows you better than anyone else. He loves you more than anyone else. And he doesn't make mistakes. Here's the second secret, and that is that sex is sacred. It is set apart for a special purpose. Like one person said, until you say I do, I don't. Now, what does sacred or the word holy mean? Set apart for a special purpose. God has a holy book. Set aside for a special purpose. He has a, God is holy. Uh, He has a holy people. He has a holy, he has holy money. What is it called? Tithe, okay? He has a holy day, the Sabbath. And he has a holy relationship between humans. Holy matrimony. These are all things that belong to God. And you know, God is very jealous of, for the things that he claims possession over. Jesus affirmed the sanctity of marriage in Matthew 19, 6. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in verse four, just two verses before that, he answered and said unto them, have you not read that that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? There was no gender confusion, was there? Jesus not only affirmed the sanctity of marriage, but he made it clear that it was between a man and a woman. So sorry for that slip earlier. This would exclude same-sex relationships. We're told so much that don't discriminate against same-sex relationships. Well, I have an answer to that. Did you know that same-sex marriage is actually discriminatory? Because only one gender counts in the relationship. Your sexuality is an incredible gift. Don't give it away until marriage. Save it for someone that actually loves you. The counterfeits in this world are like fool's gold. They may be shiny and pretty, But in the end, they're worthless and they don't stand the refiner's fire. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So I have an important question for you today, Avent Hope. By the way, how many of you today are single? Okay, raise them high. Every one of you should be looking around, see who else is single. So I have an important question for you today. True or false, kissing, I'm not talking about, you know, cultural on the two cheeks. I'm talking about kissing. Is ki- in God's eyes, is kissing, should it be reserved for marriage? How many of you say yes? Wow, that's it? How many say no? How many are not sure? Okay. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking you can preheat the oven without cooking the roast. (laughs) Kissing ignites passion. And if it doesn't, there's something wrong. It gets the hormones going. It makes so you don't want to stop, and eventually you won't. Kissing in God's, the way God made us, it's actually a form of foreplay. And it ignites the romantic flames. Sex is like a fire, which when it's kept where it should be in the fireplace, it's beautiful, it's warm, but when it gets outside, the confines that God has set forth, it can burn the house, the whole house down messages to young people were told thou shalt not steal was written by the finger of God upon the tables of stone yet how much underhand stealing of affections is practiced and excused when a woman gives her body she also gives her heart and there's lots of broken hearts left in the carnage of the wake of selfish lust if someone pressures you into a physical relationship what should you do you should say goodbye I know I did, and I have no regrets. Um, So one practical suggestion is to limit time alone, especially in the evening. Bad things happen late at night. Now, my friends Mitch and Lena and their family used to live in this house in Rockland, California on a golf course, Whitney Oaks Golf Course. This is a pretty nice house, wouldn't you say? Seven bedroom, five baths, 5,400 square feet on a golf course, beautiful pool and waterfall in the back. In 2003, my friends decided to sell their house. And I was talking to their four-year-old, at that time, four-year-old daughter, Gabrielle. And um, some of you may know Gabrielle uh, and her husband, Alfie. Alfie's a fourth-year medical student. But uh, anyway, I asked Gabrielle if she was willing to sell the house to me. She said, yes. I said, how much do you want for the house? She said, $100. I said, I'll take it. You know, we laugh, but this is illustrative of how so many people will sell themselves out so cheap. Sex is a precious commodity to be valued and cherished and not given away so easily. Number three, third secret, is to stop dating. That's because there's a difference between modern recreational dating and courtship for marriage. I didn't know this growing up. I think our church has not really done a good job of educating our young people, especially, on how love and romance should be different than what we see on TV or in the movies. Because that's kind of what raised me and trained me. I don't know about you, but it gave me the wrong values, the wrong um, methods. So what's the difference between modern recreational dating and courtship for marriage? Courtship for marriage. The purpose of courtship is to determine a couple's readiness for marriage and to discern the will of God for a covenant marriage that will benefit the world. One of the primary motivations behind courtship as opposed to dating is the protection of the emotions of those involved until the time when it is clearly God's will to proceed into marriage. And I would recommend staying friends as long as possible. Now, modern recreational dating, on the other hand, is the process of engaging in relationships with the opposite sex for mutual enjoyment at the expense of God's will outside the proper context of marriage and without parental involvement. been very impressed with my friend Mitch. Um, He has four daughters, and for every one of the daughters that so far has been in a relationship, one's married and two are in dating relationships, pretty serious relationships, but in each of those relationships, the young man actually came to Mitch before they started really dating the daughter to ask for permission and got to know the parents. I was really impressed by that. Modern dating usually involves high intimacy, low commitment, and frequent fractures in relationships, which is devastating baggage to bring into a marriage. It involves benefits without lasting commitment. C.S. Lewis likened premarital intimacy to eating food without digesting it. It's not nearly as enjoyable. You've all heard of Casanova. Casanova is known for his memoirs that describe his sexual encounters and other exploits. He died in 1798, along with the papacy. wonder if there's a connection. <laughs> I just thought of that. <laughs> the deadly wound. <clears throat> but the papacy is, is uh, on the, on the uh, what do you call it? The rebound. Um, Casanova was a player. He was a womanizer. He entered into multiple casual sexual affairs with women. He didn't love them or care for them. He didn't care they had a mother, father, future spouse, or future children. So even today, people are sometimes called Casanova, a smooth-talking charmer who has mastered the art of finding, meeting, attracting, and seducing beautiful women into the bedroom. Once he accomplishes his goal, he leaves the woman for fear of having a relationship and proceeds to find his next conquest. What does this kind of life lead to? In the end, it's empty and meaningless. And it's a grave sin against the God who made us and loves us. So I actually learned this next principle, uh, well, in the, still in this context. Um, uh, I, I learned this from a non avenist actually. When I was in my first job in ministry was in Grand Prairie, Alberta, Canada. And I met a, name, a man named Bob Beagle. Uh, he had two daughters from a, a, a relationship and then... They got divorced, and he had a conversion experience. He became a follower of Jesus, and he met a woman in church. That's the best place to meet somebody. And Bob and his new wife had 10 children, nine girls, one boy. And I learned something from Bob. He said, You know, and, and when, I, when you met their family, you knew they were very wholesome, very different from what you typically meet. Like the, the, the uh, oldest girls were teenagers. They were friendly. They were hardworking. They made you feel welcome. Uh, not like a lot of teenagers today. And uh, I just knew there was something different. And they lived on a farm out in the country. But he, Bob said, You know what? Those daughters of mine, who I love and care for so much, he said, They're under my covering. And. Only until I believe that there's a man that's worthy of their their love will I then walk my daughter down the aisle. And when I walk her down the aisle and give her away, I'm transferring that covering to her husband. And I thought that makes so much sense. Of course, we've gotten away from that largely, but I even had a, a nephew that was given away by uh, his he wasn't given, his, his wife was given away by her parents both. So we've kind of lost that, the headship where the, where the father is the head of the home and is the one really ultimately responsible for uh, covering and protecting his daughters. Proverbs 4.23 tells us, Keep your heart with all vi- uh, vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. God is trying to protect our hearts. Paul Washer in a sermon on biblical courtship said, it is impossible to be alone with someone of the opposite sex for an extended period of time and not fall into some sort of immorality. So if you're dating, you're not just holding hands, you're holding hearts. And when two people are alone, they begin to share their hearts. The good news is if you've sinned in this area, there is forgiveness and a chance for a new beginning. Number four, supplication which is really another word for prayer. Seeking God's help through prayer. I love what Ellen White says. She says, There is a mighty power in prayer. Our great adversary is constantly seeking to keep the troubled soul away from God. An appeal to heaven by the humblest saint is more to be dreaded by Satan than the decrees of cabinets and the mandates of kings. There is a mighty power in prayer. Now, I shared a little bit of my testimony today, and it include, included a friend actually praying and fasting for me. Maybe you have a friend or a family member that you've tried to set them up, or you've tried to encourage, matchmaking, whatever. Nothing's worked. Well, have you tried fasting and praying? Matthew 7:7 Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Jesus loves to answer prayers. And actually, at the time that I met my now wife, I actually was fasting and praying at that time myself. Messages to Young People, page 439. Before taking a step which is to exert an influence upon all your future life, I urge you to give the subject careful and prayerful deliberation. Will this new relationship prove a source of true happiness? Will it be a help to you in the Christian life? Will it be pleasing to God? Will your example be a safe one for others to follow? She also says in page 460, if men and women are in the habit of praying twice a day before they contemplate marriage, they should pray four times a day when such a step is anticipated. Number five, the fifth principle or secret. Be selective. Set high standards. Is there a problem being selective? Some people call it being picky. What does it mean to be selective? It means to choose very carefully. In fact, you could even use the word discriminating. A lot of times the word discriminate gets a bad rap today. We're told it's bad to discriminate. It's, it's good to discriminate against certain things. Isn't that right? We should condemn discrimination that's racism. There's lots of isms that should have been wasms. But isn't it okay to discriminate against certain things? Like, should we discriminate against sin? Yes. What that word discriminating means is to, in this context, is to be discerning. Be particular. In fact, we're to be a, we're to be a peculiar people, right? So if we're to be a peculiar people, should that influence who we link our life up with, who we link our life with? We need to have high standards for ourselves and for who we choose to marry. Ben Franklin said famously, you should have your eyes wide open before marriage and half closed after. The Bible describes the perfect woman in Proverbs 31. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. It also tells us she does them good. She works hard. She provides food, land, and clothing for her family. She helps the needy. She's skillful. She speaks with wisdom. She's kind, industrious, and she fears the Lord. What about for men? Does a young man have the character and skills to support a family? What do they used to require before a man was worthy of marrying into a family? A dowry where he could prove that he was industrious, could save up money. Should we choose someone godly with high moral standards? Someone who loves God supremely? Over time, it will show. Messages to young people tells us, before giving her hand in marriage, every woman should inquire whether he with whom she's about to unite her destiny is worthy. What has been his past record? Is his life pure? Is the love which she expresses of a noble, elevated character, or is it mere emotional fondness? Has he the traits of character that will make her happy? Can she find true peace and joy in his affection? Will she be allowed to preserve her individuality, or must her judgment and conscience be surrendered to the control of her husband? Will body and soul thoughts and purposes be preserved pure and holy? She also says, "Let those." Who are contemplating marriage weigh every sentiment and watch every development of character in the one with whom they think to unite their life destiny. Let every step toward a marriage alliance be characterized by modesty, simplicity, sincerity, and an earnest purpose to please and honor God. Marriage affects the afterlife both in this world and the world to come. A sincere Christian will make no plans that God cannot approve. What about marrying someone who is not of your faith? Is that a good idea? Or how about a non-believer altogether? Is that wise idea? Did God ever ask someone to marry someone that wasn't of good character? Yes, he did. Have you ever studied the book of Hosea? I think that's the exception rather than the rule, okay? He doesn't want you going to the brothels uh, to go find a wife. Why did he do that? And this is an unusual situation. Um, and by the way, I appreciated the Bangla help plug today, about helping women to come out of that horrible life, to have a better life that Christians can show them. And you know, the life in a brothel is such a contrast to God's ideal, which we're sharing today. Um, Paul has this advice. He says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And if we're really serious about fulfilling our mission to to promote and share the three angels' messages for our time, it's, it's imperative we're linked up with someone that has that same mission. Otherwise, it won't happen. In Messages to Young People, page 441. We're told there's no concord between Christ and Belial. The two cannot harmonize. To connect with an unbeliever is to place yourself on Satan's ground. You grieve the Spirit of God and forfeit his protection. Can you afford to have such terrible odds against you in fighting the battle for everlasting life? Now notice this next quote from Messages to Young People. It is a dangerous thing to form a worldly alliance. Satan well knows that the hour which witnesses the marriages of many young men and women closes the history of their religious experience and usefulness. For a time, they make an effort to live a Christian life, but all their strivings are made against a steady influence in the opposite direction. Once they felt it a privilege to speak of their joy and hope, but soon they become unwilling to make this a subject of conversation, knowing that the one with whom they've linked their destiny takes no interest in these things. I remember pleading with a woman in Colorado. She seemed on fire for God. She was bringing guests to our evangelistic meetings, but then she linked up with a non-believer and she was barely at church anymore. The fire died out. It was so sad to see. What happened with King Solomon who committed his life to, to God at a young age? What happened in his spiritual trajectory in 1 uh, Kings 11, we're told that King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, the women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Zidion, uh, Zidonians, and Hittites. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, you shall not go into them, neither shall you, they come unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. I admire King Solomon in so many ways. I even contemplated naming my first son, Ethan, Solomon. Uh, after all, he was the son of David, right? But what stopped me was I just didn't like what Solomon did for so much of his life, I didn't think that was a good legacy. So I, I named Ethan, Ethan, which actually Ethan's wisdom is compared to Solomon, but we know very little about him in the Bible. Here's another principle or secret, and that is to serve together. What do you want to accomplish as a couple? Is it just to live the American dream, have a nice home, build a retirement account, and, and, and just live the American dream? Or is there something God wants you to do for his service together as a couple? I, I would really focus on people that have that same passion to serve God. Marriage should be an opportunity for Christian service versus just a selfish endeavor. Number seven is to seek advice. Proverbs 11, 14 tells us, where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. If you're afraid to ask people that you know care about you, if you're afraid to ask them about your significant other or potential significant other, even the fact you're afraid to ask means that there is a problem. You should be willing to Lay it all out and see what the people that love uh, love you and that you trust have to say. Now, why do you think that God wants us to have a multitude of counselors, especially people that know you well and care about you like your parents? Do your parents have more experience than you do? Undoubtedly, okay? And other trusted mentors. Did Isaac trust his father? He did. You know, it's amazing. Um, seems like the countries that have arranged marriages, there's a lot of actual, I, I know people that had an arranged marriage, they're actually very happily married. Their parents actually were very wise. Uh, messages to Young People, page 449. Take God and your God-fearing parents into your counsel, young friends. Pray over the matter. Weigh every sentiment and watch every development of character in the one with whom you think to link your life destiny. The step you're about to take is one of the most important in your life and should not be taken hastily. While you may love, do not love blindly. Like my good friend Jonathan Zirkle likes to say, marry in haste, repent at leisure. Can you see, Luke, can you see Jonathan saying that? Yeah, okay. I want to encourage each one of you, if you haven't done it, or maybe it's been a while, to read a couple books besides the Bible, That's the best place to be grounded on this, is the Bible, the Word of God. Um, Like I appreciate what Anton told me this week. He said, if I want to make good decisions in life and be grounded and guided by God, I spend time in the Word. Because when you look at the true, the counterfeits are very easy to spot. I also encourage you to read messages to young people. I've quoted from that book a lot today, as well as the book Adventist Home. In fact, my wife and I actually, before we got married during our uh, courtship and and, and engagement, we actually read through together the book Adventist Home. That was a great, great exercise to do. Let me just leave you with a quick story. So a man goes to the toy store to buy a birthday gift for his daughter. He asked the store manager, how much is that new Barbie in the window? The manager said, well, which one? We have Barbie goes to the beach for 1995. We have Barbie goes shopping for 1995. We have Barbie goes to college for 1995. And last of all, we have Divorced Barbie for $375. He said, "Why is the Divorced Barbie so much compared to the others that are only 1995?" He said, "Well, because the Divorced Barbie comes with Ken's house, Ken's car, Ken's boat, Ken's dog, and everything else that belonged to Ken. (laughs) The bottom line is, divorce does not pay. And of course, the steps we make toward having the right relationship can be a big part of not going down that road. A friend of mine actually recently paid off his ex-wife over a million dollars. But the the, uh, most... The the, the most sad thing was what happened with the children. So it's important to choose very wisely. Amen? Amen. So I hope that this talk was beneficial today for at least one person here. And I want to make an appeal today um, that when it comes to love, marriage, and romance that you will put God first, that you will subscribe to biblical principles because you'll be much happier in the long run and so will the people that you interact with so you don't leave and break hearts in, in, in the process. How many of you would like, just with a show of hands, to say, I want to commit to these principles today? Amen. Praise the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and that you have a special interest in each of us individually. We're not, this is not a room full of people to you. It's a room that has individual people that you love and gave your life to, 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 uh, as a sacrifice. And Lord, um, maybe there's someone here discouraged today. They haven't found the one. Maybe there's a lot of people who feel that way. Lord, I want to claim the promise found in the Bible. In the book of Psalm, chapter 7, 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I pray that for each of these single people, Lord, friends here at Advent Hope, that they would give their life to you completely and delight themselves in you and then that you as Jesus, that you as the matchmaker would bring someone special to them and prepare their hearts for that special person, Lord. Please work miracles and we thank you that every good gift comes from you, including the gift of marriage. In Jesus' name, amen.